YoMPG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. On November 6th, the StarCityGames.com Open Series hits Boston, and this event is going to be huge. We're talking hundreds of players, over $10,000 in cash prizes, at least eight players qualifying for the 2010 StarCityGames.com Invitational, live coverage on the StarCityGames.com website, tons of side events, and as much Magic the Gathering as we can pack into one weekend. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in Boston, and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of Yo MTG Taps. This is Joey Pasco, And I'm Big Head Joe. We've got a pretty cool episode lined up for you guys today. In just a little bit, we're going to be joined by uh, the Superman and Batman of MTG Finance, although which one is which, we'll have to ask them. Um, <laughs> we, we've... Uh, We've got John Medina lined up, and uh, hopefully Kelly Reed as well. Although we're uh, we're still waiting for him to uh, to get in the queue here. So uh, before we do that, we're just going to go over some news. Um, first thing, I want to shout out to Jason Chris Baker who sent me uh, a book promo, Jace Bellerin, which was very kind of him. Uh, pretty awesome. I think that's the best Jace art. I. I think so. I don't know. The Mind Sculptor is pretty great, too. Yeah. All the Jace um, art, like, art. is really good. Except the uh, Jace versus Chandra American version. Which one is it? I don't even remember Ke- what Kev that Kev Walker like. did the art for that one, and Jace looks like he's, like, he looks like Juggernaut or something from X-Men. He just looks <laughs> terrible. So, uh, but all the rest, I think, is fantastic. Like, well, you know, the original Jace Bellerin is Alexi Bricklow, or however you yeah. pronounce his name, and so is the book promo Jason. Both of those are are fantastic. And then, of course, yeah. Jason Chan did the uh, the artwork for Mind Sculptor, and that's fantastic. And the uh, the anime version is pretty cool too. Like the uh, the Jace versus Chandra anime. Yeah, I still haven't got my hands on one of those yet. I'm kind of disappointed. Uh, yeah, we we'll have to keep an eye out. It, wasn't it just supposed to come out like? In November, or I, I don't remember. Oh, is that true? Um, I think it might, it might be this month. So, another shout out to Inkwell Looter. Who, uh, if you guys haven't checked out inkwellooter.blogspot.com, go right there. It's uh, some really yeah. great magic themed like cartoons and uh, and artwork. And he he makes like the the poison bucks so that you know to use as poison counters. And uh, he even has like a, a poison counter that. Um, it's it's kind of like a, a snake. It rotates, goes up to ten, and it's uh, it's really neat. He he made an uh, an emblem for Venser and just all kinds of cool things. Um, he sent us some of his custom plant tokens. Um, so and those are also they double as his uh, business cards, but uh, they're really really cool and they're really like high quality like paper stock. So um, check out inkwellluter.blogspot.com if you want to see those. Also, we wanted to mention, if you guys haven't been uh, checking IWantMyMTG.com recently, um, our buddy Noyan has been writing articles weekly. He has his uh, column, Spreading Cheese, where he kind of uh, he builds some rogue decks and then uh, goes over how, how they work and uh, how they did for him when he plays them. You know, he plays them every week at FNM and then and says how, how they performed. Gen- he also generally talks about deck building strategies and I, I really like some of the advice that he gives i think it's uh pretty useful i actually uh read his latest article or read part of the latest article and it inspired me to build the uh 
deck that I'm going to play this Friday at FNM. So yeah, so. it's he's definitely really like got some great deck building advice and um and also if you haven't seen it um our uh, our other buddy Brendan did a uh, a tournament report because what he didn't have a deck to play at FNM he showed up <laughs> didn't have a deck yeah decided. He, he just came by to say hi and you know felt like sticking around so he's like well I got nothing else to do so he uh, did some uh, coverage of FNM and he did it like you know in like a you know coverage format you know it was right, really like neat. A Wizards of the Coast Pro Tour kind of uh, coverage exactly and it's pretty cool um, we put it up on IWantMyMTG.com and he's uh, it's basically a write up of the feature matches that he how, yeah how did he determine the feature matches did he just choose no, he just picked them randomly pretty okay. much okay I wasn't sure so uh, you know he did some feature matches and then he would interview uh, you know the, the players uh, right after the match to get some comments. So it's pretty cool. Um, so check that out. Uh, the big news just announced this morning is, uh, the star city games open series for 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go over all the details here, but it's huge. Like it's, there are so many things happening next year. Like they're basically running two seasons of it in one year. Um, which is, you know, just kind of mind blowing. They've got like the first half of the year culminates in, in a, an invitational in June, and then they have another one uh, in December. We've got the schedule for the first season as of now. There are 15 events in the season one schedule. So in six months, 15 events. They've got Kansas City, San Jose, Indianapolis, Washington, D.C., uh, Memphis, Dallas, L.A., Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Orlando, Louisville, Kentucky. And then Indianapolis again for the uh, final, uh, the Invitational in June. So um, it, it's just huge. And then and then on top of that, they've got um, more events on Sunday, like a draft, uh, a draft open series on Sunday. Mm, the draft open series is, I think, uh, one of the coolest uh, announcements they made. I think that's just going to be really neat. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. So they go Saturday Standard, Sunday Legacy. That's what they did this year. Coming up, they've got Saturday Standard, Sunday Top Eight of Standard, so that everybody doesn't have to doesn't have to stay awake, you know, super late, and all the players in the Top Eight can actually play with some energy, you know, having some sleep behind them. Oh, that's um, pretty neat. I yeah, didn't know. I didn't actually look at that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, the Top Eight of Standard is 9 a.m. on Sundays, and then everybody can wake up and see the GG's live coverage on Sunday morning of the Top Eight, um, and then at 10 a.m. the Legacy open begins and the other thing is they have a whole uh starcitygames.com players club where based on the open points you get you can earn uh everything from a free pack of sleeves which is just if you have four open points to if you have 125 open points you get uh, a play set of the entire standard format uh, plus uh appearance fees and and buys and it's just amazing like basically it scales up based on how many points you have but it's really set up a lot like the uh the pro tour i mean there's buys appearance fees we we essentially have uh a non wizards of the coast run pro tour happening right here or or more like grand prix but Mm -hmm. very absolutely um i think okay so people have been complaining a little bit on twitter but you know of course People would complain about the way $20 bills are folded if they're put in packs. Um, yeah. But people have been complaining about, um, like, the uh, 
the buys and like the little point system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what people aren't realizing is that it seems like it's going to, I mean, like it's going to be quite difficult to uh, really amass as many points as would be necessary for like the 125. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people aren't really realizing just like how like conservatively the points are distributed. You know what I mean? Like people like are thinking like, oh man, everybody's going to have buys and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, well, you got to travel to these events first, you know? Right. I mean, and really uh, it's not them. just like, yeah, you can't like earn, you can't earn Star City points outside of the Star City Opens. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like DCI where mm-hmm. you can just like get buys from playing anywhere. You know what I mean? You have to actually go to these specific events to earn the points. Um, so I don't think it's going to be as big of a problem as uh, people are uh, expecting or, or maybe, you know, suspecting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't even get, like, why why it's a problem. Like, if people play that well to earn a buy, why do they not deserve it? I don't, I don't exactly. really understand what the problem is. Like, so they have a buy. I mean, just pretend they played somebody who was terrible round one or whatever, you know? Just, Which if they're, you know, if they have enough points to get buys... Uh, uh, the terrible players are probably most anyone they would face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a really exciting, uh, I think it's, like the changes are really exciting and um, I think going to really take this uh, series to the next level. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know? it, I think it skipped the next level and went to the one above that actually. Yeah. It's like yeah, the next, th- next I level. Agree. Like, I mean, no, real. I mean, I know it's. I'm joking, but I'm serious. Like this is this is way more than I expected. I mean, of course, every year, you know, or oh, people are always trying to improve things, and of course, you expect Star City to want to improve their their open series, and it's like the improvements here and the changes and just all this. All this is just very, very exciting and more than I ever expected. So mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. I mean, they're giving away over the course of, I believe, both seasons. Uh, yeah. Over the course of 2011, they're giving away half a million dollars in cash prizes. That's like, amazing. O- over half a million dollars. That's ridiculous. So, That's so cool. Anyway, um, on to the, the present uh, we had just this past weekend was the Star City Games Open Series in Charlotte, and uh, we just we're going to run over these really quick. Some of the interesting things. Uh, congratulations to Daniel Jordan who uh, who won the standard portion with a red blue green control list, kind of uh, kind of basically the evolution of Turbo Land, the, the current evolution. We've we've seen a similar list a couple weeks ago um, at the other. At another recent Star City Open event, I think it came in second place, and um, it's basically kind of Turbo Land with red for Lightning Bolt in the main deck, and then um, you know some some red sideboard cards, including Pyroclasm and Goblin Ruin Blaster. Um, but mostly, it's kind of a, a Turbo Land list. Um, mm-hmm. The cool thing is there are so many good finishers now that it doesn't have to rely on just Avenger of Zendikar. This list, for example, has one Avenger, three Frost Titans as the finishers. It's also got a Volition Reigns in there, which can be a finisher just to take somebody else's uh, Titan or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Jace the Mind Sculptor, four copies of that, and uh, that can also win games. Can so, it? 
Uh, it can. It, there's a there's an ability after the first three that sometimes mm. people don't get to because they get tired of reading the first three and um yeah it actually it's, just, it's like Lindul's vault just too much text right right people just don't get there but if you read it it actually says you win the game so pretty cool there were actually four red blue green control lists like this one in the top eight so at, kind of out of nowhere this deck which was kind of a small percentage of the meta game makes up 50% of this top eight. Um, that surprised me. And I'm sure there are nuances and slight differences, but for the most part, they're all, uh, they're all going that same way. But the second place deck is Goblins, which was played by Christopher Cannon. And, uh, this, the really exciting thing about this list is how similar, like the concept is to the deck that you built kind of just kind of for fun with the one I talked about on mana screwed. Right. Right. I think, uh, I, I think you might've mentioned it on our podcast as well. Like I can't really remember, but essentially it just goes a whole bunch of cheap or zero casting cost artifacts that can accelerate or, uh, sacrifice to cast Kuldatha rebirth and uh, a bunch of goblins and burn. So it's got, you know, mem knights, and Goblin Bushwhacker, and Goblin Chieftain, Goblin Guide, Spike Shot Elder, uh, Lightning Bolt, Galvanic Blast, Mox Opal. It's got Devastating Summons. It's like all in Goblins. Um, so, very cool. I mean, and it made it all the way to second place. This isn't just like one of those, look at this deck that did pretty well and came in 40th or whatever. It's made it to second place. How did it? Um, how did it uh, resist pyroclasm? Is my question. Did it not face pyroclasm? Is what I need to know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you just you got to play the deck. Like, uh, if you expect pyroclasm, you just don't overextend. I mean, I well, guess the whole deck like, is in, all about overextending. But right, but my, in, like in my experience playing the deck that I had uh, that I had tested, um, it just was a dog to wrath or pyroclasm um you know the mono black deck that i'm toying around with right now is definitely going to be running a full set of marsh casualties in the sideboard so like you know what i mean like yeah i mean i think it's i think it's a lot about uh kind of winning like it's got a lot of it's got goblin chieftain which gives goblins haste so even after a pyroclasm if you can drop a a goblin chieftain and then cooled off the rebirth you know that that does require four mana and an artifact to sacrifice but that right there is you know you're you swing in for how many how many uh goblins you get three or four three right three right so you you're swinging right right in for eight damage the turn after a pyroclasm if you just do that um it's Mm, also got molten tail mastercore to go over the top you know, if you just got one, but it's got uh, two more in the sideboard um, and plenty of creatures. Spike Shot Elder is in there to, to kind of drop down and immediately start pinging them if you don't have anything better to do. Um, Devastating Summons is nice follow-up to a uh, Pyroclasm. It's, uh, I'm sure it's not easy, but it's got its, uh, its ways. And it's got uh, Chimeric Mass in it as well, which, of course naturally avoids pyroclasm and also double as a cheap or free artifact to sacrifice to cold out the rebirth and he has one, okay. in, one in the sideboard as well so i mean that's uh, i guess that's the uh, the obvious just looking at the deck list on to the legacy portion the winner was nick spagnolo whose name you may recognize because he's won several everything events. Yeah. ever this is ridiculous he is a beast right now okay so he won new york states he won both tcg player events in boston on saturday and on sunday uh, he got top four 
at the Star City Open Standard portion on Saturday and then won the Legacy portion on Sunday. Like, what is going on and how much did the devil pay for his soul? What did the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, they taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son, for that you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't you. Uh, so, wow. Congrats to, to Nick Spagnolo, who seems to not be able to lose. Uh, right. Must be nice, right? <laughs> yeah, right. All right, I think uh, I think it's about time we can add John into this call. Uh, we haven't seen Kelly show up yet, but uh, as soon as he does, we'll we'll put him in here, too. So... Hello? There he oh, is. Oh, there he is. Can you hear me okay? Now we can. Yeah, now we can hear you. Yeah. Okay, sick. I think there's something so, of a delay. Is there still a delay now? Um, no, it sounds okay. 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 Yeah, I got the, I got one bar, so we're operating with one bar. Thanks, AT&T. <laughs> nice. How you been, John? I've been pretty good. How have you been? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I hadn't talked to you in a while, so... Uh... I've been seeing on Twitter that you've been making the big bucks. So far. I mean, so far it's been pretty good. Like, to be honest, like right now, I feel like my stock is lower than it's been in a long time. But I also don't feel like that's a huge problem. I just got to keep working. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I've definitely, I mean, I've definitely, like, purged. You know what I mean? I've definitely purged uh, fairly recently. And uh, we're down, you know down we're, we're looking a little bare but uh i don't think that's a i don't think that's a huge deal and i think that uh you know i can turn it right around like i felt like i felt like my collection was looking a little bare before uh last weekend when i sent off 360 bucks worth of cards you know what i mean like i was like I was like oh i'm kind of getting thin and then i traded for nine molten tail master cores and made 160 bucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah the i do that on purpose a lot i'll sell down to the bare minimum of cards I need to trade again, mm-hmm. and then I'll just trade it back up into into like you know expensive cards, and then then sell that stuff. So when you're constantly taking money out, you just have to keep hitting the tournaments, you know. Like right. The reason that we wanted to have John and Kelly on today's episode was because there's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk on the internet recently about how. Uh, you know, pack to power and, and this kind of trading is basically stealing or how ethical is it? And, um, you know, people, a lot, a lot of people throwing around the word ethics. And, uh, I think what's getting one of the key points that's kind of, people are like forgetting about is that this is, it's called grinding for a reason. It's not easy. It's not like, huh, I'm going to trade this pack for a piece of the power nine in one trade. It doesn't happen that way. It's a grind. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to get, uh, we wanted to get the opinion straight from, from you and from Kelly, who I know you guys have probably been getting this kind of feedback a lot, uh, over the course of, I'm sure ever since you've been more uh, public in the MTG community, um, you guys have probably heard this kind of thing a lot of, uh, in a, in a lot of situations. And, um, an article came out a few weeks ago by uh, Peter John over on Pure MTGO where he – I think the title of the article was Pack to Power is Stealing. So, uh, you know, straight from the uh, – the what is it? The originator of the entire Pack to Power idea, we, we wanted to get your opinion. 
Okay, so we're going to talk to the originator of Pack to Power? Sick. Yeah, I, th- I think that's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least you, you, so, um, you trademarked the name anyway, right? <laughs> so, um, that was good. Yeah, uh, this is, this is uh, it's, a, it's a really, there's so many ways to like, address this whole ethics topic. I mean, if you want to talk about it in a philosophical way, um, whenever you have, whenever you talk about ethics or morality, there has to be a context. You have to have um, some ultimate source of truth. You know what I mean? And that's different for everybody. So, if for someone to say, uh, "I don't think it's ethical for you to trade and and make profit," is just basically. I interpret that as, okay, based on their ethics, it's not ethical to do what I'm doing. But based on my ethics, it's perfectly ethical. Yeah, so ethics is entirely subjective, so they kind of can't use that as a judgment, you know, as a metric, exactly. Sure, it, it's definitely, it's, it's entirely subjective. I mean, in um, in Hindu cultures, it's <laughs> it's expected that that a woman uh, who who lost her husband, a, a widow, would throw herself on her husband's, you know, funeral pyre, pyre, and just burn herself alive. That was expected. If she didn't do it, that wasn't ethical. Right. So like, <laughs> so I mean, you know, it wasn't moral for her to to want to live after her husband died. It was it was a, it was looked upon as uh, you know it was really negatively, and sometimes they would just throw her on there. I mean. Forced ethics, right? <laughs> so, in, in that culture, in that context, that's what's ethical, you know. And um, so, it, it's really—I'm it, kind of at a loss for words for, for when people say, "Oh, you're not doing things that are ethical." Like, it's like, well, how do we measure that? As a, you know, do we measure it from a perspective of, okay, whatever is good for the MTG community is ethical, and whatever is not is not ethical. I mean, that would be the logical. If we were going to make our own ethics, which is what's, what, we're, what we're having to do here, because everyone th- follows their own uh, set of ethics. So if we were to make our own, we'd have to base it on the community because that's what we're, we're, all, we're all have in common. That's what, what we'd all be part of, you know? Right. So then the question becomes, is, this, is trading, this type of trading, good for the community? And um, I think it's not only good for the community, but it's necessary. I mean afford to buy cards they have to use their collection as equity to get cards and um and this allows them to play all the decks at at their whim you know when you when you remove that and you say okay now you can only buy from dealers it it uh it stops people from being able to to make the decks that they want to make or get the cards that they want to get because they can't use their their cards as equity i mean here's the deal right everyone when they trade, has their own goals in mind, right? Now, I don't think that there's any crime in someone having goals. If you can think of, like, a situation where goals equal bad, let me know, and I'll take all this back. But, like, people have different goals. Some people are trading to acquire the cards they need for their decks, right? Mm -hmm. Some, and, and, and that can also break down into which format people are playing, you know? Some people are trading um, in order to 
you know, maybe to trade up into things like, you know, an extreme example of that, obviously, is pack the power. But sometimes people like Joe, I think you're probably one of like who comes to mind. And I think the people who trade like this, you'll trade smaller things for something slightly bigger for something slightly bigger than that. So you can eventually trade into bigger, you know, top tier um, chase rares. Right. Right. And, and, but you're not doing it for, you're not necessarily doing it for profit, you, but you're doing it, you're trading up, you know, yeah, like, exactly. and then other people trade to, you know, to, to sell cards and to make money. And I think that all three of those goals should be respected. I think that, you know, those are all very valid reasons to trade cards, you know? The people yeah. mm-hmm. who you are trading cards to, like, say you're trading cards to someone who's trying to build a deck, right? And, oh, and there's also, okay, of course, there are also the people, but they're few and far between these days, I think, people who simply collect the cards. You know, we, I guess you have to include that because people do do that. Well, some um, of them are, some of that overlap, people <laughs> that want to collect the cards and play the right decks and, you know, that just want. Well, yeah, but there, I mean, yeah, there are yeah, some yeah, people got who got to collect every, like, some people who want to, like, co- complete a foil set. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Which is beyond me, but anyway, that's just me. Um, <laughs> it is anyway, a collectible card game. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is uh, I guess it's a collectible card game, but, um... <laughs> Like, I think that there's nothing wrong, like, and this is what I always tell people, like, and, I, and I'm sure I pulled this straight from one of John's articles. There's nothing wrong with trading, I mean, gaining value in a trade if both players are happy with the trade. Yeah. You know, if both players are satisfied with the trade, then there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes, uh, you know, the values on, like, Star City won't match up exactly, but a lot of times if you're trading with someone who doesn't give a crap about those values, then it's fine. If you're trading with someone who gives a crap about those values, they should know those values. Yeah. And, and, um, and if someone asks you, what does this go for on Star City Games, you just tell them. Like, I, I just tell them what it's going for. You know, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, it's like on that show, it's like on the show Pawn Stars, where the expert comes in. Have you guys seen Pawn Stars? I know of it. I've never okay. seen it. Okay, so basically it's this show where they, it's, it's a, like a reality TV show about a pawn shop, okay? And this guy is, owns a pawn shop in Las Vegas, and so like all kinds of weird stuff is always coming through the door, like gas masks and like, you know, bikes and like just everything you can ever imagine comes through this door, okay? So basically the guy doesn't know everything about everything, so sometimes he'll have an expert come in and appraise the item. So it's kind of like antique roadshow meets pawn pawn shop, you know? What'll happen is the expert will say, "Okay, so you can probably get 5,000 at this at an auction for this for this like item." Okay? And then so when the expert leaves, the the owner of the pawn shop will ask the person, "Okay, well what do you want for it?" you know? And the person will be like, "Oh, well the expert said it was worth 5,000, so I want 5,000." And then the the owner will be like, "Okay, what do you really want for it because I'm not going to give you 5,000 for it." He's like, I got to make a profit, you know, I got to, you know, I got to pay the bills. So, you know, it's definitely going to sell for less than what the, what the expert appraised it at. It's just, it's funny that people understand that when it's, when it's dealing with something else, but, but not with magic cards. When it's with magic cards, they don't seem to grasp that, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget the intangibles too. Like sometimes you're trading, 
you know, cards, like, it's card for card, but you're also putting forth, like, the time and effort it took you to learn the values of that card. You know, learn the values of those cards, the work. Like, yes, that other person isn't getting that, but that's what you're giving for it. There's a lot more to it than just this, I'll trade you this card for this card, and I'm making a profit on it. There's a lot more time that goes into that for the people that know the values. And, I mean, here's an example just between Joe and I. Um, Joe is trying to trade to make profit, to make actual money, um, and... uh he goes through these websites and spends his time finding out who has the better uh, buy prices on certain cards, and he either writes it down or memorizes it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put my time to do that. So I probably am – if Joe and I were trading and didn't know each other, he might end up with a better deal than than I would depending on what cards he was trading for because maybe he's trading for some uh, non-standard cards that I don't really know the values of anymore and he spent his time to learn about. So, you know, just because I'm losing out on the deal and it looks like Joe's profiting, his profit is at the expense of his effort and and time to to learn the values. Um, I I agree with uh, with everything you're saying about time and effort. Um, you know, we also as traders we make ourselves available at these tournaments. You know, and we also. Um, research which cards are going to be in demand we put time into getting those cards and because of that you know people are able to to trade for them um but i I really think that all we're trying to do here is trying to prove how this is ethical you know but but i don't think we have to do that because from the very beginning from a philosophical standpoint it's not it's not a question of ethics because everyone has different ethics. So unless we make a new set of ethics, there's no way anyone could ever call us unethical. I mean, we can justify it for the sake of podcasts, you know, uh, because I feel like it's justifiable in the sense of what's right for the magic community. But I don't even think we need to, because like I said, I think they're trying to hold us to a set of ethics that are, that are, that are their ethics, you know, is they believe something's right. So they say, it's wrong for you to do that, but there's no ultimate source of truth that, that anyone is that we all agree on. You know what I mean? Right. I think there there's two things really. There's um, where is the line between trading for value and ripping somebody off? Like so that there's like this kind of True. you know I'm going to trade you my obstinate bail off for Jace the Mind Sculptor. Like that obviously seems like a total rip off. You know, so there's got to be some sort of line, and where is that? Of course, it's very fuzzy and not really definable. Um, you know, and then there's also, I think, the ethics that most people are using are kind of a generally accepted set of ethics based on the majority of the population, as far as like magic players go, and you know what is what is considered stealing, and you know. I guess uh, I guess that's what it is. Nobody's going as far as throwing anybody on a funeral pyre, you know. Yeah, but and that's that was my point about uh, context, ethical context. Where, where is and, and what you said, what you said, Joe, is like, well, people are going by this general, you know, way that most people feel, and it's like, dude, there's no, you're basically saying it's undefined. I yeah. mean, let's 
give let's not give any more credit where where credit shouldn't be due. This thing the thing that they're the thing that they're I guess holding on to for what's ethical and what's not is undefined. And you can't as far as like lines for stealing and lines for ripping people off and this kind of thing, at the end of the day, I don't think any of these lines really exist. Okay. I don't like saying stuff like that because people will take it to the nth degree and be like, Oh, you know, lines don't exist, so let's just go and take advantage of eight year olds, you know? Right. But let's use let's use this example of maybe an eight year old kid. He has a Jason Mind sculpture. Okay? And he wants an option to bail off. Okay? Okay, so then there's this guy who will trade him the option to bail off for the Jason Mind sculpture. So this is this would be considered unethical for a lot of people. Okay? But if you really look at what's happening here, how much did the kid pay for the Jason Mind sculpture? Probably the pack. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. He opened it in a pack, right? Mm-hmm. If you actually paid retail for the Jason Mutilter, then you would know what the Jason Mutilter was worth, right? Right. So if he opened this in a pack, and someone else opened an option at Bayless in a pack, and they traded cards, then what is the, what is where? Why is that unethical? Right. That's a, that's a very very good point. Yeah, absolutely. So what? So what I'm saying is like. Anybody who pays for their cards and actually pays this value that people are so concerned about, they know what the card is worth. So they're not going to take less unless, unless they're accepting it. Anybody who doesn't, who gets their cards other ways and not as expensive ways, then it's just basically a piece of cardboard to them that they're exchanging for a piece of cardboard. Because at the end of the day, this is all cardboard. If I took a Jason Mind Sculptor into a supermarket... And I asked the single mother, hey, give me 80 bucks for this. She's going to laugh me out of the store. Right. Okay, because it's a piece of cardboard. It means nothing to her. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's all about having outlets, too. Like, uh, you know, where, knowing where you can get that $80. Because if you don't know where you can get $80 for Jason the Mind Sculptor, then it's also worthless to you. You know, it's, it's only worth as much as you can get for it based on what you know. Yeah, and how is this eight-year-old kid going to get $80 out of a Jason Martin sculpture? And even if you trade the kid $80 worth of cards, what's he going to do with them? He's just going to take them, they're going to go in this box of his with a rubber band around him, and then he's eventually going to trade them off to somebody else for, you know, Sierra Angels or something. Like, yeah. So it's not, it's not going to, the value is not going to stay there. And so... I mean, let's just be honest. This is this is what's happening. I'm not advocating that you go and trade eight-year-old kid for a Chase the Mind sculpture. Okay, um, that's not what I'm advocating. But I'm using the example to to really dig into where are the truths here. You know what I mean? What are we really talking about? Right. Uh, uh, let me give. It, let me kind of piggyback off of what John's talking about here. Um, and and this is a story that Joe can relate to as well. Um, and I'm sure John can relate to it too, but Joe will know exactly who I'm talking about. So there's a kid who comes to our FNMs, right? And uh, he's not a kid; he's a, he's a full-grown man, right? And um, and he's a pretty casual player, right? He's got a pretty stocked binder of some really sweet stuff, okay? It's got some really good stuff, and 
So I'll be like, hey, man, you want to trade? He's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I look through his binder. I'm like, okay, I like the Coffs. I like the Mox Diamond. I like the Elspeth. I like the Bane Flares and all this. You know, so I'm like naming all these things that I want from him. And I'm like, take a look through my stuff. Let me know what you see. And he goes through and he's like, I like the Mirror Reservoir. And I'm like, anything else? No, that's it. And I'm like, um, what? I'm like, I just named like, like, Ten forty dollar cards, and you just pulled out like a two dollar rare. Like, come on! Like, really? Like, you know? So, like, it gets to a point after a while. Like, like you know, you want to. The kid needs the cards. You can't just be like, "Well, I'm not trading with you because you don't want enough stuff for me." You know, you got to make. You know, you got to like try to make the trade happen for the kid. You got to try to get him the stuff he wants. So eventually, you know, like he actually at one point found a mutavault that he wanted. You know. And this was back when Mutavault was 20 bucks and Elspeth was 40 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Elspeth has since dropped. So, like, he had a Mimic that and a Mutavault out, which, you know, roughly comes about 25 bucks on Star City. I had mm-hmm. a Bane Flayer, an Elspeth, and a Cough, which are $50. Back then, it was a $50 card, a $25 card, and a $40 card, right? Yep. yep. So I set all three out, and I was just like, okay, pick one, Right. And so I was like, I'll do, I'll do these two for any one of these. He had an opportunity to make it a dead even Star City trade, but he chose the Elspeth. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it was just like one of those things where it was like, I mean, huh? You didn't, you didn't get the cost? <laughs> I, You're a new man. You should have got the cost. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, he, no, he didn't really. He was kind of hesitant to trade the cost. And, like, I wanted to make a trade happen because, like, I, like, eight times we try to trade and two times we actually trade because of these same situations. I was just dying to get a trade to, uh, to actually go down with the kid because it's just, like, there's always such a disparity between, like, what I want from him and what he actually wants from me. And, Joe, you've had the same exact thing, right? Yes. He sounds like one of the guys who buys a lot of boxes. Yeah. So... You know what I'm saying? So that's how he gets his cards. He buys a bunch of boxes and then, like, just sticks it all in his trade by the stuff that he's not going to play in a deck, you know? And he only trades for right. stuff they deck. Yeah. I mean, people have different goals when they trade. You know, not everybody, like, wants to gain max value. Some people just want to finish their decks and, like, nothing more. Like, some people don't have any interest in, like, trading for value. Even when you present valuable cards to them and say... You have free reign of this binder. Pick away, and they go. I want a mere battle sphere. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. what you don't yeah. want any primeval I mean, titans. Like you don't want any jaces. Like they're there. Like I want this card. Like, like I want many expensive cards from you. My binder is open. You know what I mean? Take whatever you like. And they're like, I don't want anything. If you just look at the profile of that person, okay, he's a twenty-something. He's uh, he probably fuels his collection by buying boxes and trading for what he needs for decks, right? He's yep. not a tier player because he doesn't want tier cards, right? Right. So this this kind of player is not somebody who really wants to... It, it actually stresses them out to try to figure out values in trades. Okay, so if you're saying get more, get more, that's stressful to them. All this person wants to do is make the decks that are fun to them, they want to play them in the in the atmosphere of, of a Friday Night Magic or wherever, and that's like when when that person buys those boxes, he probably has a, a decent paying job or not a lot of um, 
not a lot of uh, sales or, or, you know, overhead to have to pay. Uh, he's got a lot of um, spendable income or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, to him, buying those boxes is an investment in this experience that he's uh, being a part of. Okay, so as far as what comes out of those boxes and values, that's not a concern to him. What's of concern to him is that he can build the deck that he wants and play in this atmosphere. And so the money that he invests is like kind of like going to an amusement park, you know? When you go to an amusement park, you know, you spend $60 on the ticket, right? And like $25 on a hot dog and a Coke. And you don't expect to come out of that amusement park with anything, okay? But just a good time and experiences, you know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. some people view magic that same way, is they put this money in, and it's like an amusement park, and they want to go and experience. They don't want to sit at a trade table and ticker over prices. They, do, they just want the cards that they want. They don't care what these valuable cards go to or whatever, because they, they want to get busy playing. They want to go and meet people and uh, and have a social experience, these kind of things. So when you look at the profiles of people, and like you say, different people have different goals, and you know, what What they want to do is different. I mean, just because somebody else wants to get value doesn't mean that they should make everyone else get value because not everyone else wants to do that. Exactly. Yeah, everybody finds value in different places, and I think, you know, it's a completely fluid thing. And I know the big debate on um, on your recent article, John, was somebody on there complaining about how you um, – you, you, what is it? You had a foil proxy time vault that you must have gotten for four dollars, right? You, whatever four dollar value is is how you four dollars value in trade, okay? Because right. I didn't buy the time vault. I don't think you should buy counterfeit cards, and I don't think you should sell counterfeit cards. But this is something I traded for in a trade, so it's just like this person had it. They wanted to add, add it to the trade for value. I valued it at four dollars. They were fine with it, and you know. Then I traded it for someone else wanted it. So, you know, I said, hey, I'm not going to trade it for $4 because and it just wasted my time to take somebody one, one card, give it to someone else for something else, and all that time in between, and, and, you know, and the time I'm sitting down with this person trading is just a waste. So I said $15, and the person was fine with that. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, like, yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, like I, I traded for a um, portal natural order at like maybe 10 bucks or something like the other day. Because, I mean, th- to be honest, I didn't know what it was worth when I was trading for it. I was just like, hey, that's probably cool. I'll pick that up. You know what I mean? Like, cause I didn't know what else I wanted. So I was like, I'll get this. And we put it at like 10 bucks. I don't know. Cause I didn't know what it was worth. Honestly, did not know what it was worth. Then I looked it up and it was like 35 bucks. You know, so naturally, when I traded it away, I valued it at 35 bucks. You know, like, these things happen. Sometimes they're mistakes. Sometimes they're totally intentional. But, like, someone puts something at a certain value, then that's what you're trading for it at. If, if, and then you can put your own, because values are so subjective. And, like, someone's subjective value might be significantly lower than your subjective value, especially on something like a foil proxy time vault. You know, like... If you would have said, I value this at 15 bucks to the guy you traded it to, and he would have said, no, I put it more at, like, four, because that's, you know what I mean? Like, you probably would have been like, well, I don't know about four, but, like, 
you could see where he was coming from at least, right? <laughs> and like yeah. probably work something out. But if you say fifteen bucks and he says okay, how is that wrong? <laughs> Right, and the example I gave on the forum thread, the example I gave was what if he has a friend who said, man, I really want a foil proxy time vault and I will pay 40 bucks for one. What if he goes and trades it to his friend for $40? Like, so, so wait a minute, now who's, where's the ethics? You know, so he just got it for 15 and he's going to go sell it for 40 So now everybody's unethical or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's silly. I think that... Uh... I think people are just being silly about this whole thing. Um, I don't know. It brings up a good point about two things. Um, the first thing is these cards that that are rare and don't have really a value. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I'll talk about that in a second. And the second thing is that if if we really wanted to make it a rule that every trade had to be dead even, we couldn't do that because not everybody knows every value. You know what I mean? Contrary to popular belief, I don't know every value, you know? Sometimes I have Joe situations where I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, 20 bucks on that, you know? And I don't know, I get home and it's worth more. Sometimes it's worth less, you know? So, But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, when I was uh, pimping out my decks, I wanted to be like the pimpest card you can get. Seventh foil Japanese, if I could. Or if it wasn't, couldn't be found in foil, I wanted Korean, you know? And when you're trying right. to buy cards, there is no price guide for Korean cards. Okay, so I had seen a Korean Mox Diamond go on eBay for 80 okay? And that was the only, like, reference of price that I had. So I'm at a, um, at a tournament, and one of the dealers, we started talking, because I'm buying, like, some of his, like, really pimp cards. And he's like, you know, man, I got a, I got a Korean Mox Diamond. It's near mint. And I'm like, Really? I'm like, man, I've been looking for one of those to finish, you know, to get a set going. You know, I, had, I think I had one or two, so I needed, like, two more. And um, I said, how much do you want for it? And he said, uh, 150 And I said, 150 I said, the last one went on eBay for 80 And he's like, yeah, what's the next one going to go for? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, there is one on eBay right now. And he's just like, well, you know, I can do 150 And... We, we we went back and forth on price, but we ended up agreeing on $125. And it, at that point, it's like, well, who's being unethical here? You're like, here I am, like, I'm very knowledgeable in pricing, you know? But it's just like, well, where am I going to get this thing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's and convenient, for me, too. It's pretty so, but for other people, it might be a Jason Mind Sculptor, you know? Like, some people might trade $150 in cards for a Jason Mind Sculptor because they just can't get it any other way. And, exactly. and if I'm willing to do that, and I don't think it's unethical of the dealer, because I know the dealer knows what's up, he's like, look, this is a rare card. Like, there is no price for this. I set the price, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, it's just, it's about convenience, too. Like you said earlier in the conversation about making yourself available. Like, you could walk around right. with a backpack full of cards at a, at a an event all day and never pull it out to trade, and... You know, they they don't have access to your cards, like, and you might have a ton of stuff that people need. So sometimes it's just about being, you know, about the convenience of of getting the card then and there. I mean, I can go to Friday Night Magic and go, crap, I need a fourth Molten Tail Masticore, and somebody can be like, I've got one for trade. One person in the in the room has one for trade, and he wants, you know, uh, cough for it. Um, and I'm like, well, I I don't think it's equal to a cough. 
I can go online and get it, but not at F&M and have it instantly in front of me. So my only option is to say, <laughs> you know what? I now, for the convenience of getting this right now before F&M, I have to trade away a cough for it or choose not to. And that's another big thing. Everybody, nobody is forced into this. That's like everybody seems to be like talking about ethics and it's like this guy accepted your value of $15 for a foil time vault. You know, both parties agree on a trade. There, There's no forced anything happening here. Oh, you didn't know I take a gun around with me? That's how you know yeah. I did trade? <laughs> That's why his collection never gets stolen. No, but, uh... <laughs> so, hey, hey, guys, yeah. listen. I'm going to hop off the call. Um, okay. Because I want to head back into work. I don't want to stay on uh, Sheldon's phone too much longer. Okay, that's um, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll but, wrap it up in a minute then. All right, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you all later. All right, see you, Joe. All right, take care. So did you have anything uh, more you wanted to add to the uh, to the topic before we close the episode? I mean, there's so much. You could just talk about this for hours, you know. And uh, I feel like, uh, for me, I've, I've already made um, some – list in my mind of like lines that I won't cross ethically during trading uh, because I feel like certain things would hurt the magic community um, if you do certain things in trades. So I try not to do those things because I don't want to hurt the community. Um, and I think, I think that everyone should develop this list in their mind and they should stick to it, you know, but I'm not going to tell other people what they should have on their list. You know, <laughs> I have my own list, and uh, and I, I I think I do pretty well. And I think ask anybody who trades with me or has traded with me if they felt uh, you know taken advantage of or ripped off in any way. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think you would get the results that you think you would. You know. Yeah, I think um, I think one general idea to keep in mind is how. I mean, and maybe this is terrible for everybody else, but at least I feel like it, it's a good good way to think of it is how angry would I be if I were the other person in this trade and went home and checked the values online? You know, would I be like furious because I traded an obstinate bail-off for, uh, or I traded away a, a Jace the Mind Sculptor for an obstinate bail-off? Or would I be like, oh, I just traded, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor for two Elspeths or something? You know, like it's not that far off, but man, I could have gotten more or something like that. Um, I don't yeah. know how, how much is Elspeth I mean, I now. She's like twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was selling a couple for twenty online. Um, yeah, I think the you know I, I've I've had that happen in the past where somebody was like, "Oh, Medina, you totally got me on that trade," you know. Yeah. And of course, I'd be like, "What trade?" Because you know I traded like <laughs> you know million times a week, you know, and. Uh, and then, you know, if, they, if they're genuinely upset about it, you know, I, I'll i make up the value to them in in a trade, and I'll just say, hey, next time, know your values, you know? Here, we'll, we'll act like, you know, we're still in the trade. What, you know, what gap are you looking to close? And, you know, here's some here's some extra stuff, but, you know, this is not going to be an everyday thing. Like, next time, if you trade with me and you don't know the values and, you know, and I get uh, more value in the trade, then I'm not going to every time throw you more cards, you know? Right. I think the other thing is, uh, or another thing to keep in mind is that the values change. I mean, I did trade, you know, uh, I traded Jace the Mind Sculptor for two Elspeths with Joe. And that was an even trade at the time. And now I'm out, you know, some money. But I understand that the values change. What if 
suddenly, you know, a couple of weeks ago they had said, all right, you know, here's here's this special printing of Jace the Mind Sculptor we're doing, and it's going to be available every Target and Walmart in your neighborhood. <laughs> and suddenly Jace drops in <laughs> half, you know, like – who knows? You never know how things are going to yeah. go. Or what if there's a huge mono white deck or whatever deck that makes Elspeth go up to $60, $70. Now I made out better. But it's like there's the values fluctuate beyond beyond everybody having a subjective view of values at the time of the trade. Um, as time goes on, those cards change value as, as well. So the the cards, you know, you could end up gaining value where you originally lost value. Yeah, it's actually a funny story because when Jace first came out, um, I was, like, hot on the trail trying to get my foil playset, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I had to trade for regular ones before I get the playset. So my buddy, um, let's just call him Mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, had, he had a Jace, the mind sculptor, and I said, hey, I want your Jace. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm not letting go of that. Like, you know, not easy. And I'm like, all right, I'll give you an outfit for it. And at the time, the Elspeth was like forty dollars, you know. Yeah. And the piece was like just came out to like thirty, thirty-five, and the guy's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yep, Elspeth right now for the Jace." And he's like, "Okay, done." And like ever since then, <laughs> he gives me so much crap. I'm like, every time I see him, I'm like, "Hey, dude, you got any Jaces for trade? I got some Elspeth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy. Like the values change, and sometimes you make out. I, I have one last question for you. Um, unfortunately. Kelly never showed up for this, so uh, it's just going to be just going to be us three, I guess, which is certainly fine with me. Um, but when we introduced the episode, we mentioned that we were going to have the Batman and Superman of MTG Finance uh, on the episode, and I said we'd have to ask which one we, we'd have to ask you guys which one you were. So since you're the only one here, you get your pick. Are you Batman or Superman? <laughs> Am I Batman or Superman? Man, such a good question. Um, I don't know, dude. I, I think I'm just Medina. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably rather be Medina than Batman or Superman, to be, to be honest. Sounds good. That, that's a reasonable answer. And surprising, too. So I guess I, I expected you to, to choose one anyway. We'll have to see what Kelly says. We'll, have, we'll get Kelly on the show again. If I could pick for Kelly, I think he'd be Wonder Woman. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah. We'll let him respond to that when he listens to this episode, I guess. So, uh, so you're weekly on Star City Games. It's uh, so on Mondays, is that right? Yeah, Mondays, uh, Star City Games, I do a, a weekly column. And, um, you know, it's called The Going Incident. I talk about um, card prices and, uh, you know, cards that are going to go up. And I've been talking about all kinds of stuff, uh, selling on, on MTGO, um you know, just uh, methods for trading and all that kind of stuff. So people should check that out. Cool. And they can uh, follow you on Twitter at MTG Metagame, although I think everybody that plays Magic follows you on Twitter already. So <laughs> <laughs> Most of them. Hopefully I'll get a couple more followers this week. Cool. So uh, I guess thanks for, for being on the show. I appreciate you uh, taking your time and, and dealing with all these little snags. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. Definitely. Talk to you soon, John. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Yo MTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website, IWantMyMTG.com, for past episodes, t-shirts, 
free stickers, and more. You can contact us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at yomtgtaps.com.